0: I'm Carlo with Race to Walk and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday and what I do in these weekly updates is I just share a few thoughts for the week and then I also uh, share where we're at in our immigration journey um, with some Afghan Christians who are currently in Pakistan and uh, the way I got involved in this is I was teaching a bible study on um, its actually in 2021 was this? oh yeah it was 2021 i was in my bible study on the series job on the book of job and my friend mark ritchie saw my bible study on job 19 and he said that's a great teaching do you want to teach uh, some women in pakistan and via zoom and i said sure so i started that mark had been doing ministry um in pakistan via zoom since 2020 and uh so I would teach um, kind of just whenever they needed me to. And then in 2022, just about a year ago, uh, Mark asked me to cover some of his, uh, a few of his classes. And the classes I covered were with the Afghan Christians. And there was a huge, uh, um, there was a lot of concern um, because they had expired visas to be in Pakistan. Um, they had been waiting, most of them, on either processing immigration applications with the US for most of them, um, or you know they're just looking for a path out. They all had um, risks uh, with being in Afghanistan because of their previous affiliation with the former republic. And so we were just trying to help them um, work out options. And so uh, part of that was um, having to try to get money to them there and which was a challenge and so mark brought in connected with his friend don shire who has a ministry don shire ministries um, or uh, you can go to that at donshireministries.org and he uh, agreed to partner with us in that if um, anything donated to his ministry if you select raise to walk as the area of giving um, he, this will go to help our people. So, um, Don is, uh, as a 501c3 charity, donations that can be uh, deducted also as a international ministry that's been in operation for years. It's not unusual for him to be sending money to places like this, whereas if an individual person was sending, sent new money than at my church or something. So I've actually, I don't know it was me or somebody else who we were sending something, had to answer a few questions in MoneyGram, like, why are you sending money to Pakistan? So anyway, um, that is how it started. And, um, we've just been, uh, we're just looking at whatever we can do to, um, find a path out for them as well as keep them going until we do. So that's what we've been doing. And I'll share a little bit more about our current efforts later on, but I give weekly updates because, uh, for a couple reasons. The first is that when I first started this pack in October, I was sharing updates with my apologetics group and they were the first ones that were donating and helping, you know, get, uh, visas and extra permits and travel back to Afghanistan so they could get the visas back into Pakistan, which is a whole entire mess. But anyway, they were interested because I had been telling them and giving them updates about what was going on. And I thought, okay, well, I need to share this beyond my our Facebook group. But also the other reason I share this is that people, there's just not, generally, there's not a lot of awareness about what is going on in Afghanistan and the situation that our, um, Afghan allies are currently in. And, um, part of that is, I don't know, I guess we have a short attention span, but also you have to look very specifically for that information. And, uh, even when Mark and I were trying to find information about like what was going on, it was, it was really difficult at first. And so, um, it, it took some time to build up some, um, you know, people to follow like on Twitter and uh, sites that had, finding those sites that had had the actual current news because uh, U.S. media doesn't really cover it. Um, The only time they really, I think, even mention Afghanistan is to, you know, gin up partisanship over like either immigration or the withdrawal or something. I mean, there's really, they don't really share, don't really often share the news to a productive purpose. So anyway, so that's why I do these weekly updates and I do um, each week with the stream I also then will publish an article on my website to go along with the stream and usually I have it up in, within a couple days. I'm a little behind this week because, uh, well, there's two reasons. Um, the first is that we are actually, this is actually when we're publishing our next issue of an unexpected journal. It's up on Amazon and other, um, uh, online book sites. Now you could buy it. It's just not up on our website. We're still learning how to adjust to post Zach being the managing editor. So it's been an adjustment period, but anyway, that's part of the reason also on the one from a couple weeks ago, I'm writing this big, long, uh, it's more of an essay. I should have separated this out about some of the immigration problems. So anyway, a lot to do and I added more onto it. But my the topic of today's sc- stream is black blessings. So last week, the topic of the stream was missed opportunities. This one kind of ties in with it. And so a lot of times we pray for blessings from God, right? Uh, we all want to have blessings rather than curses, even though we don't always act in accordance with what will get us one with the, get those blessings but sometimes I think we can we can actually be the block to our blessings so um, we think about we'll go back and read the account in the Old Testament of the Exodus and when Moses brought the delivered the Israelites out of Egypt they wanted to leave because things had been so bad things were so bad they had been oppressed and uh, in Egypt, and it was so horrible that they were willing to go back to a land that, you know, their ancestors had come from that they did not know because they, they had been in Egypt for 400 years. So they didn't remember this place. They didn't know it. And it was an unfamiliar land to them, even though they had heard these accounts and these stories of it, and that they knew that this is a land that God had promised to Abraham. Right. So, things are really bad. They see all of these that these miracles, these hand, the hand of God in the judgments on Egypt, and then God leading them out of Egypt, delivering them from the enemies. They cross the Red Sea. It's just miracle after miracle. And then they get this manna from heaven. God's providing for them in the wilderness. They get manna from heaven. They get the quail. It's just basically dropping down. Part of them, all they have to do is go out and pick it up, right? It's just dropped in their lap. God's leading them very clearly with, like we say, okay, I want to hear God's voice. I want clear direction. And they had a pillar of... A cloud by day, leading them in a pillar of fire by night. I mean, they had this clear direction. They had the provisions. They had seen the deliverance of God, right? The hand of God delivering them. And then they get to the end of the, they get right to the edge of the promised land, right? They get right there and they're afraid to go in. And only Joshua and Caleb are the ones that are willing to go and face the Giants. So they're they're afraid because there's giants in the land even though God has delivered them from the power of uh, the the world power of the time, which is Egypt. they're still afraid to go in there because of they don't they don't think God's big enough to take on, you know, the, the people of the land and even though they see that it's really good they don't they won't go for it they they will just uh, they're afraid and so they that blessing that they were going to have they they were just right there right this the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness but That journey probably took them a couple weeks. They could have been, they could have been, you know, in setting up camp, everything, getting ready. God had said, "I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, you know, fields that you didn't that you didn't plant," and they could have had it soon. But when God brought them right to the end, they were like, "We're we're afraid. We don't want to do. We we don't. uh, We actually read this today. It was like." Uh, people came back and gave a bad report. And the, the scouts, most of the scouts, came back and gave a bad report, and they uh, spread fear among the people, and so they were afraid to go in. And so instead of having that blessing, instead they it turned into a curse because God said, Not one of you that I delivered from Egypt is going to go into the Promised Land except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they wanted to go, and they were for it, and the rest of the people didn't. So because they didn't trust God, they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until all of them had died, and it was their children that got the, the promised blessing. Their parents could have gotten it, but they missed out because they they blocked their blessing. They wouldn't receive it. So I'm going to tell the story. I've told the story in a, a couple of other things. Um, I'm not going to like say names. If anybody who's familiar with the story, they already know. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the story, then it's who the person is isn't really like specifically relevant. But I mentioned in um, this actually in my the last Bible study lesson of Job, I talk a little bit about this thing, but. I mentioned a couple times that um, I, at one point, helped organize a community event. It was called Picnic on the Park. It was an Easter event held the day before Easter. So these are some pictures. And uh, it started in, 2000. I think it was 2003. And it, we had, it just uh, a friend of mine had an idea for a community egg hunt. And she called me and she said, hey, I want to do an egg hunt for a whole community. I said, okay, great. And I had no no idea what was, how to do any, anything. I mean, I was just going there to help. And uh, so we started in 2003, we had probably about 300 people that came and um, maybe about 12 vendors and, you know, just had some eggs in the park that kids could, you know, have their egg hunt. And we had a few, few booths. And so by the time we passed it on in 2009, we had uh, about a hundred vendors and sponsors. I don't even know how many volunteers we had that were helping us with this. I was looking back through some of these pictures. We had a lot of volunteers, a lot of volunteers a day of. And uh, we had 4,000 people that came to that last event in 2000, 2009. Is that right? Yeah, it was 2009. So anyway, after that, the thing is, uh, we, when we were starting this event, we were looking at other events in the area and, uh, we, there were other events that were free events they didn't have to pay to get in and we thought, okay, this is just how you do an event there. We didn't know that, uh, there, the, the those events actually ran in the last every year and that there was a local businessman that funded them. We didn't know that until later. So we kind of got set, we started with this free event, no admission, started up with kind of a bad model, but we did it for six years and it was a great event. It just took a lot of work, a lot of volunteer work to make it happen. And it was unpaid time. And so what would happen when you have unpaid, uh, when you rely on volunteer effort and there's nobody being paid, then eventually life happens to everybody, you know? And so, uh, that is, that is, what you're dealing with. You know, it's like how many people can invest the time that uh, needs to be invested um, above and beyond their paid work, right? And that's kind of what we're doing, dealing with right now with an unexpected journal. Uh, Zach was our initial managing editor. He put in so much time and we're learning how to balance that and allocate the things that he used to do we're still adjusting his last he stepped down into last year his last issue was March this is September we're we're still adjusting the books out the online issue isn't we're still we're still working it out because that's just the way it is because everybody's busy everybody has life and so if you're only relying on volunteers then life happens and um you know, it, it gets hard to make it continue to go on if it's not self-sustaining. So 2009, I had had, it was really intense. Like we had, we would have a ton of volunteers a day up, but it was the pr- preparation ahead of time. And there was, I had some, some personal issues going on. Um, the other person that was, start my friend that whose idea was she had some massive personal issues going on we started with like four core people on the committee and then had a larger committee uh, to go but like two of those people left and then the two of us that were left were like like life was just going to hell in a handbasket so we just decided it was time to pass it on the event on to someone to another group and so we passed it on to a private Christian school and uh, the thought was, this was my thought anyway, it, they had a base of people that they could draw from. Cause you know, when you go into like uh, carnivals at schools, you know, they're they're having uh, like an elementary schools, so there'll be 500 kids you're drawing from all those families for donations and volunteers and everything. We're just like people like just, you know, rounding up volunteers and donations and everything. So we thought with this Private Christian School, this would be great, they have a base, right? They have, uh, this is a perfect event for them. Like if you're looking at um, all the publicity they can get for it. I mean, we had people coming from across Houston to this event at that last year that we did, and we had 4,000 people. And, uh, you know, when it is in the spring would be great for them just to like promote their school. I mean, you couldn't pay for publicity like that. So we're thinking, okay, this is perfect. So we, we handed it over to this private school. Well, you me, and it was, it was good for them. You know, they had, it seems to me like they had support, you know, um, and when we handed it over to them, we had, there was a the egg hunt, obviously, that was the main thing, but we would have these, these games booths and we had over the years built up, uh, we'd have a list of games and so I would have, it was basically an event in a box because I had the, for each event booth, I would have like a little like, uh, storage tub container that had an inventory list on it. And, you know, with all the things that went in to that game booth and instructions on how to run it and, you know, just. It, everything you needed. It was just set up, ready to go. The vent in a box. So the year after that, the school decided that they didn't have the volunteers to do it. And so they were going to hand it back. And I was kind of like, okay, I don't understand the logic in that one, but you know, I'm not going to argue with them. I mean, I'm thinking it's a blessing for them. They didn't see it that way. They saw it as a burden. So I'm like, okay. So, I went to another local organization that, again, I thought it would be a good fit for because they had a lot of community members um, and the their members, I thought it would be, this is the thing, like, when, in those game booths, what I had, I had set up so that, like, I've noticed, like, a lot of times when people go to, like, vendor events, most businesses, unless that they're actually selling something and sometimes even not even, people who are selling actual things. They don't know how to engage, engage people. And so with these game booths, it was automatically set up that you're, it's a draw to get people to your booth, right? So I'm thinking it's, i that was the thought. It's like, it's a perfect thing for businesses that don't know how to get people to, in to talk to them. It's a perfect way to get them in to do this. And so this new organization, I think they had members like this. So I'm thinking this would be great. You know, you can have this event, it can promote the organization, you have members that will do this. And so it was kind of late when the school late, not super late, but it was late in the in the prep time of what I would normally be prepping for the event coming up. But they still had some time to do it. I sat down with um, the head of the organization and the secretary and I said, hey, So I just laid it all out, you know, handed over, you know, they, they, again, got the event note in the box, had all the instructions. These are all my contacts. These are, these are vendors. This is a timeline. This is where you promote it. And it's not like they didn't know how to promote things, they know how to promote things. So anyway, I said, if you have any questions, let me know. I like, this is the thing. It's like, I know how much work it is, I know how much work it is because if you have any questions. you know, I've done this for I did it for six years, kind of uh, answered questions and advise them in the seventh, like have questions like just call me let me know. So I'm not really I think I got maybe one email. I'm not really hearing anything then so that again, keep in mind the event is on sat the Saturday before Easter. I get a phone call from somebody who was had signed up to be a vendor because we had a website where they could people to sign up for vendor. I mean, just kind of an automated thing. And she had gone into the office of the organization and said, it was, she hadn't heard anything about where she was gonna set up. So this is Wednesday, so in, just in a few days, uh, she hadn't heard anything. And so the head of the organization had kind of roped her in to court organizing the vendors. found out the secretary had quit and then the head of the organization told her to call me (laughs) i was like okay and i said so do they have a street closure permit because it's a park surrounded by a um a street and so what we would we would close the street and with that there's all these other requirements you have to have you know security this whole thing the thing is with the street closure permit if they don't have it, they don't have it. Because three days before the event, You're not. if you don't already have it, you're not gonna be getting one. I just needed an answer to the question, yes or no. Because whether you have one or not, is gonna determine how you would set up, what the event's gonna look like, what you can do. She didn't know. So they had, the organization had a meeting Thursday morning. So I thought, okay, I'll just go in and ask them. I'll go in and ask the head of the event, like the organization, what's going on. So I go in there, sitting there, have a meeting. Afterwards, I go up to him. He blows me off, It's kind of a jackass to me. Basically tells me to leave and go home. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, so then I get, a, he calls me and he says they're canceling the event. This is Thursday. I'm ticked because number one, I go in, you know, I, again, I had said, you need any, need any help, just tell me. I went in, he's jackass to me, and I'm thinking, what the heck? And then he calls, super brief, just saying, we're canceling it. I'm like, okay. And so at this point, I'm mad. Then I get a phone call from this guy who, he was the one, I don't have a picture. Do I have a picture? Yeah. He was the one that would bring all our, like inflatables and like the, uh, had he had an event rental company he used to live here locally and then he moved but his name is John Castaneda he's had like multiple like different businesses but at the time he had an event rental company and uh he anything like like these uh no oh yeah like all the canopies and the tents and things he would um people could bring their own but if we needed them he would bring them and so what would happen every year is I would, uh, we'd have our list of things that we needed and it never failed. There would be, we'd need something else. I would call him up I'm like, John, John, can you like, I need this, this, and this, and he'd, he'd make it happen. John's awesome. I still call him sometimes when I need, need things. So anyway, he calls me and I'm just, I'm riled up. And, uh, when I was, thinking about it. So Wednesday after I get this phone call from this woman who got like roped into this, I'm just thinking like how can how to make this happen? How to make this happen? You know, thinking okay, if, if they have a, have a street closure permit, we'll do it this way. If not, we'll do it this way. But the one thing I could not figure out was how to staff the game booths because if the game booth wasn't sponsored by a business that had their staff then we would need to have volunteers for it and when we did it we had one person that would spend a couple months getting volunteers for all the positions like i would say these are the booths we would have you know we just have a schedule and then she would get volunteers for it and uh, this is before sign up genius it would be totally different now like it that would just be total game changer but we didn't have that done so I couldn't figure out how we would make this happen in a couple of days, something that she had spent a couple months on. So when John called me, he said, um, yeah, I, he said, I said, well, the event's been canceled. He said, well, you know, I just, I just called the head of the organization and he hadn't even called John to let him know that the event was canceled. But he said, I just called because I was just thinking Maybe he needs some help and he was gonna offer to bring some staff to help with the event. And I was like, oh my goodness, that was the one thing. That was the one thing I couldn't figure out and it was right there. So this is the thing, I, I know another part of the story, like this, this person that's head of the event, it was like, it was this major debacle because this event had been going on at this point for, this was the eighth year. And it was always at the same time. It was always the day before Easter and it had become a family tradition for a lot of people. The day of the event, I actually left town cause I'm like, I'm not being anywhere near this. My phone was ringing all day long. I'm like, what happened? What happened? What's going on? Where's the event? I talked to somebody afterwards and he said that there were, you know, he <laughs> has a business in the area around this park. He said there were kids in their Easter dresses with their, with their Easter baskets crying because there was no Easter egg hunt. It was just horrible. And I was, it was just, it was a major, major debacle. But the thing is, I know that uh, this person had actually talked to another friend of mine going into it. I don't know the whole backstory behind why it turned into such a mess, why, like, nobody was helping in this whole organization, but he had talked to someone that I know about it, and they had prayed about it, and looking back, I'm thinking, you know, all of the pieces were there. It may have not have been the same as when we had done it in the past, but they could have had the event. Everything was there. Had all the game booths. John was bringing the inflatables. They had eggs. I can't remember like tens of thousands of eggs. They had them. They had eggs and they even had, uh, they even had volunteers. It, I was reading, There's all this is total drama, all this discussion on local message boards and there were multiple people who said, Oh yeah, I don't really planned on helping. I was planning on coming in. I mean he had volunteers there. There was, there was advertising like on the local cable station. It was like, I don't even know what happened. I, I don't know. But it was like everything was there. It could have happened. But and this thing that could have been a blessing for an organiz- for his organization actually ended up being a curse for it because again he blocked his he was blocking his blessings. All of the things would could have come. They were there to come. But I don't know. It just it was just like this, I guess it was like not saying, Hey, I need help with this. Uh, And to make this happen, I guess that's what it was. I mean, this is the thing. I'm a very organized person. I literally, organization is my superpower. I could not do that event on my own. No shade against this this other, the head of organizations, but that's not his area of gifting. And uh, so, If I can't do it on my own, then he's not going to be able to. So I don't, I don't know what happened, whether he just didn't want to say he needed help or what, I don't know. But even with the lack of, or seeming lack of help, there was help coming. There was help coming, even though he didn't know that it was there. So I tell myself, when I start thinking about blocking blessings, I think about that all the time, is that sometimes you don't know it, but blessings are coming and just don't block your blessings. Don't, I remind myself of that pretty frequently. Don't do what he did and don't think that, uh, people aren't going to help you and just trust that God's going to bring the right people at the right time. So that is, um, that is my story about blocking blessings. But I think we do that a lot. We can refuse a gift and, um, that is sometimes when maybe somebody, we feel like God has given us this, this vision for our life or that a thing is gonna happen. Most of the time, the way he brings it about isn't the way we're gonna expect it at all. And he has to lead us in this path to kind of build us up, to prepare us for this blessing. He's, he's this good end. That he has for us but we can refuse it all along the way and I think that's why um, there's the biblical prohibition against mediums and uh, things like that because like wanting to know hey how are you wanting to know what's going to happen right because the thing is there's a lot of possibilities that could happen it's like in Dune I can't remember the name of the main character but like when he goes and takes a spice and he he sees all these possible options that's sort of like that's what's like there's a lot of possible options and nobody knows exactly what's going to happen so if you go to somebody that is um tapping into another spirit besides the holy spirit that tells you okay this is and this is going to happen in the future like a fortune teller it may happen it may happen that may be a possible option but we all are free will human beings and we can change the direction and the the course in our life. That's what um, the passage in Against Heresies that, that I shared last week, just before section 15, verse two, I think, that God gives us self-government, we can choose. And that's what God tells Israelites multiple times in the Old, Old Testament, life and death is before you today, choose life. So uh, if you go in Deuteronomy, chapter 28 there's a list of blessings like if we follow god if we walk in his will these are the blessings that he will have he will have for us and then chapter 29 is a list of curses and we, we choose we choose what um what path we're going to take and we can choose to reject gifts that god has for us so anyway um those are just my thoughts um Last week I talked about missed opportunities. This week is about blocked blessings, and um, that's one of the things I pray, that God opens my eyes so I can see the opportunities that are in front of me and not to block my blessings. So anyway, now on to discussion about um, what's going on in Afghanistan. And again, part of the reason I share this is so that people know what's going on in Afghanistan why the situation is so dire and also if you hear a bunch of people you know a lot of propaganda out there trying to act like the Taliban are our partners in counterterrorism. that's not true they are terrorists and thugs this is one great example of this this is um, a former Afghai, again, LA was killed by the Taliban and then his wife was forcibly taken in marriage and um, the way they phrase this here that her 12 year old daughter was also taken as a partner. It's a nice way to put it, I guess. This is what the Taliban do. Uh, this is another story about, so I, again, I'll share these links on the article on my site when I post it. This one, actually the original post is now protected. It wasn't when I originally shared it, but this is a a woman um, and her husband and child were abducted. They don't know where she is. This is actually pretty common. It's not unusual at all. Um, They, you know, the Taliban will just uh, take people and arrest them and their family won't even know where they're at. Uh, They have uh, got a request for help from uh, someone for a woman is in that situation. She doesn't even know where her husband is right now. So, uh, this is a uh, this is a story. Okay, so w- women are blocked from going to university. Uh, girls can't go to school after I think after age ten. I was listening to Afghanistan Report uh, Project podcast. I think yesterday, and she said sixth grade. But I thought it was ten years old now. But the university that they do have, a lot of the professors and teachers have been targeted by the Taliban, but what they are teaching in the, um, the universities now are a very extreme um, Islamic ideology. And I think I've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, when I took a class from the Abil Qureshi on Islam and Christianity, he said that one of the things to understand is that when, um, Muslims read the Quran they read it by individual individual verses so they look at the surahs individually so when we read the Bible you know we are taught to look at it not only in the whole context of the whole chapter but also in the context of the whole the whole Bible you know scripture interprets scripture so you don't take it individually but with in um, Islam they look at the the individual surahs some of the surahs are contradictory so how a muslim understands their faith is really dependent on how um it's taught by their teachers like who's teaching them that's so if you have extremists uh, that are teaching a certain interpretation the way the quran is read is it's they're reading it themselves it's not necessarily going to be um they're not going to see a contradiction in it because it's just set up to to read individual verses that what we would call cherry picking that's how that's how the quran is read so just for example like in contrast to that you know, we're taught to like read the bible the whole thing looking at its context as a cohesive whole and so if you have an interpretation that is in contradiction to that, then you should question it. For example, I was brought up and grew up going to very fundamentalist Christian churches that were uh, primarily Calvinist. And I really didn't understand the difference between what Calvinism teaches and picking out, like Calvinist doctrine versus biblical doctrine until I was in a um, class on Molinism by William Lake Craig, and he was lining out the different positions, Arminian, uh, Arminianism, Calvinism, and Molinism, and when he was lining out what Molinism, be- or Calvinism beliefs, I was thinking, I don't believe any of that, you know, because at this point I had been reading the Bible for myself, you know, the, the testimony of Scripture is that God gives us a choice, that we are accountable for our actions, and so the distinction, distinctives of Calvinism are in opposition to that and so I had been taught a certain thing but scripture says something else for Islam it's not you're not necessarily going to be getting that It, it you, you're not going to be getting a um, pushback against a certain ideology from the if just reading the Quran itself people that uh, are in my group that have become Christians, um, it was really more about, and this is the story of Nabeel Qureshi too, it was the, the rejection of Islam was against the teachings that they saw that, um, how it led to cruelty and, um, especially like Nabeel Qureshi, his big thing was how it treated women and how that was supported in the Quran. but. The Quran isn't going to be the reputation. It's going to be just this uh, inner witness, you know, this God has placed eternity in our heart, you know, this, this the, our conscience speaking to us. It's that testimony that is, uh, that pushes back against the Quran. So I guess it, again, it, it depends on who somebody's taught by, how they see the religion and how what they understand their teachings to be and so this is basically taking some very uh, extreme the most extreme ideology and this is what they're teaching in the universities okay so it should be concerning i would think um this is somebody made a comment uh, that this is just a comment about the whole thing about Christian nas- the rise of Christian nationalism in the U.S. is that most of the people that are really pushing it are, are young and poorly educated, which is basically a description of the Taliban members because they most of them have not had the rank and file of the Taliban, have not had an education, and uh, so they're threatened by people who do. So they're that's why they resort to you know, just, there's still thugs. They're still terrorists and thugs. Even though the Taliban has control of Afghanistan, they're still operating like terrorists because that's all they know how to do. Um, so this is an, another um, uh, tweet about the, how uh, partisan um, and how much partiality the Taliban show and uh, this is very true the Taliban are past June they're also Sunni so they I wish I had uh, I don't have a copy of this but there was a tweet that was shared that they're actually doing checkpoints in streets and I think it was in Kabul um, making people like recite prayers but that's actually like not unusual um, when some of our people had to go back to Afghanistan last year to get new visas to come into Pakistan. That was what one of them said. They had to, uh, you know, to have stop them and make them recite prayers. This is just what they do. So if someone, if they don't know the right prayers, then they might be beaten. Um, But also if they're a minority or not Pashtun, they're also discriminated against. And uh, this is not only true in Afghanistan. I've Also read articles well. Like, if we don't, you don't understand that in Western countries that the intense uh, tribalism that among Afghans there is a lot of prejudice, and so if you have a Pashtun in charge overseeing a Hazara um, immigration file or asking them for feedback about some documents that a Hazara is submitting, it's very likely that they're gonna be negative. So that's kind of one thing to remember. But one of the things that we've been doing in our Bible studies with the Afghans, so when we do these studies, we compare. I will read the passage and I'll say, okay, well, how does this compare with Islam? And we can, how are things are the same? How are things different? And so, partiality is built into Islam you know and it's very you know this is how it plays out with taliban and they're basically you know it's a theocracy but this is an opposition to the bible uh, this is first timothy five twenty-one. i solemnly charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality another verse leviticus nineteen fifteen. you shall do no injustice in judgment you shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great but you are to judge your neighbor fairly so everybody is supposed to be treated the same and this is deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 for the lord your god is the god of gods and the lord of lords the great mighty and awesome awe-inspiring god showing no partiality and taking no bribes so this is god says you don't show favorites you don't you're not should not be partial this is one of the articles about um, that was shared about just the uh, dire health crisis in Afghanistan. Um, the medical needs are really, se- every need is very severe in Afghanistan. We're giving them millions of dollars to the tal- Taliban for like $40 million every two weeks. I don't know. But we're propping them up and the, the money is not going to the people. So this is just one example of how severe the situation, the health situation is there. And um, it's just that the, you know, women have a, and uh, in, have a very high maternal mortality rate. It's just off the charts and things are just getting worse. They're not getting better. Just a little bit out of order, but, um, so this was a somebody making a post about the fact that there have been there's been an increase in um, opium going into being confiscated, being going into neighboring countries. I think I have an article uh, a little bit later, but there's been a big deal about. So if you don't know, Afghanistan has been the number one exporter of heroin. So they grow poppies, you know, and so the opium production been a major a major thing they did have a um what she has mentioned that they had a, a program to switch from opium production into growing mint but that's just completely gone and uh it's just any and all progress has been basically eliminated they also have a very severe water shortage as a whole in the very issue. I'm not going to get into that, but it's just really uh, not good. Okay, so what is this one? Okay, this is a, so Scott Richards, if you follow him, he actually uh, works, did some work on the Doha agreement itself, but this particular post that I'll have linked to in the article, he gives a whole long overview of what you have to be aware of when you're working with the, the Taliban. There was a U.S. representative that met with the Taliban uh, in the last week, and she posted and saying, oh, yeah, we had, I have to go back. I think I have a copy of it, maybe not. We, have, we, we discussed all these items, and uh, we share this mutual concern about these issues. And this excerpt from his explanation of things you need to know when you're dealing with the Taliban. So we discuss concepts like social uh, cohesion, but it is nuanced. But this is nuanced, and they uh, they use they've used these words, but do not understand the nuance of it. It requires creating belief in government and society by means of delivery and not by means of coercion, where people invest themselves in the country in a shared manner. So the point of his entire post is that they will, you will think you have agreement with them, you think they will be coming to agreement with you, but they don't even understand what they mean, what you mean. It's just a completely foreign concept to them. So they know the words to say, to make you think that you're in agreement with them, but they have no intention of carrying it out. This, these are the people that we turned Afghanistan over to. Taliban are terrorists and thugs. So um, this is just uh, oh, the other thing. She was the, the rep that met with the Taliban was saying that, um, oh, we we came to agreement on all of these things. Well, you know, they ha- actually, this is another story. There's stories of um, Afghans being sold into salt mines and, uh, you know, sold into slavery. This is what the Taliban is doing. They're just com- completely oppressing their people. And this is, it doesn't matter, like, however much you cater to them it doesn't they're not going to follow through on what you think they're saying that they're going to do they're just not i mean they've shown us who they are they showed us who they were in the 90s they're showing us now like why keep beating your head against the drum like uh, against the wall we're just going to as long as we keep propping them up they're able to continue and the more we prop them up the more of a risk the, the people who invested in their own country, the Af- our Afghan allies, for 20 years, the more they're getting wiped out day after day. So but the point I wanted to share with this one, it's really not that much different in the U.S., honestly. There's an article in The Guardian about just how uh, the horrific uh, prison conditions there are in, in the United States. So it's not like we're that much better, but we shouldn't be... We shouldn't be supporting wrong. So we just, uh, it's just again and again, um, they, the Taliban are not to be trusted. They are just, uh, constantly, um, they want to be recognized as an official government, but they don't know how to govern. They're terrorists and thugs. They they want to, anything that goes to them is going to go into, you know, just this small group of people. It's not gonna be going down and helping. They, they, they don't even know how to implement a, a, an actual program that would help the people of the country. They only know how to look out for themselves. So this is a, another story about, um, the so when the the Taliban took over in 2021, a lot of people escaped from Afghanistan, people who were NATO allies, people in the former republic. And a lot of them went to Pakistan, they're in a very precarious position in Pakistan. And this is an article, a post showing uh, Afghans being beaten by Pakistani police. They're harassed. Um, Pakistan really isn't issuing uh, visas for Afghans right now other than for extortionate amounts. And this was something that I just got this morning. On the right is the, um, the message in Persian, and on the left is a translation. Basically what's going on is this is the same thing that Pakistan did a year ago. When I first got involved, they are um, going to be cracking down again on foreign nationals that do not have valid visas. Like I said, they're really not issuing visas. And they've asked people to report their name you know, they see someone around that's a, uh, not Pakistani, yeah, they're asking them to report them. So anyway, um, the other thing that this is actually shared by my people this with me on Monday is that this is in Afghanistan. There were, um, Employees of a Swiss organization in Afghanistan were arrested uh, based on the accusation of promoting Christianity. Now, this article says 18, but uh, from what my people told me, it's actually 25. And one of those people was an American. And what they told, most of the, the people that were working for the organization were Afghans. So they've been arrested and they're also, uh, the Taliban are trying to get the uh, the people they've arrested to have the family come in. Because the Taliban don't just go after the individual that they're after, they also will go after the family. So that was, that was just this week. Also this week, there was, um, Germany was making a lot of you know, this is what what they do, what countries do. They'll just say, oh, this is terrible. We're going to do what we can to help. But then a lot of it is just words. And um, Germany a year ago said that they were going to start taking a 1,000 at-risk Afghans a month through 2025. Then, I was supposed to start in October, a year ago. Then the uh, word was no one had been taken. And then I heard that they were going to start moving people in July, so almost a year later. So keep in mind that Afghans that are in Afghanistan have been at risk all this time. Afghans that are in countries like Pakistan, most almost all of them, are there on visas where they can't work. They may have gone to other, you know, come with the expectation is what they were told originally is to since the US doesn't have an embassy in Afghanistan anymore to go to a country that had a um, had a an embassy like Pakistan and that they would need to be there for a year I guess it for to get their humanitarian parole and so that's what they've done and those applications still aren't being processed if you go and read the um i not read go back and watch the last few episodes of the afghanistan project podcast they there are a couple of them There was one that i think it was two weeks ago now i can't remember the name of the lady but she was with the lutheran Immigration Council or whatever it is that works with immigration, uh, she explains pretty clearly what the situation is like for people in the immigration process, what a nightmare it is. It's a nightmare for people, even for people who were brought out in um, the initial evacuation with the 76,000 that were brought directly to the U.S. Even those people are in a predicament because our asylum, it just got them here, right? So they, and then they have to apply for immigration through another path. Um, the SIV path, super slow, Sigar, uh, the uh, mission that's responsible for reporting all that, they're estimating it would take 30 years to get through all those applications for the SAV applications. And if they apply for asylum, there's the case backlog in the immigration court, millions of cases, millions of cases. They're trying to, um, there's a bill called the Afghan Adjustment Act that is designed to not doesn't deal with any of any of our Afghan allies that aren't here. It only deals with the people who were brought out in that evacuation. People we brought here, making a making a path for them. And um, Congress has uh, not been not pass it last year. It was blocked this year, and uh, I think hoping maybe in September maybe they'll get get their act together, but. Oh, that was last month. That's what she was saying last They just, people, uh, people irritate me. They need to get their act together. So anyway, um, I just, uh, this is another story that about the Afghans that are in limbo that are waiting for applications to be processed And um, it's just, I don't know, if people were concerned about uh, actually getting things done, they would just do it. But people just like, I don't know. Hey Cliff, how are you? Hopefully, yeah, actually I do have some, so Cliff said, things are getting better. Praise Yahweh. Yeah, so here's the thing. I do have some good news for this week. So, uh, my good news for the week is uh, um, one of the the kids that I've been reading with each week, Afghan kids in Pakistan, uh, have a friend um, asked some people for help for them because they are in... Pakistan on, I think, family visas. So the deal with kids going to school, Afghan kids going to school in Pakistan, they unless if they are registered as refugees by the Pakistani government, which Pakistan stopped doing in 2021, or if they have a UNHCR refugee certification which has almost been shut down in Pakistan since about the end of 2021-2, they can't go to uh, school in Afghanistan. If they did have either of those things, they would be able to go to public school. Problem, second problem is that Pakistani schools in general are, uh, this is the reason I bring this up, Pakistani schools in general are really bad. They don't invest uh, very much into public education as a country. So the public schools are really bad. And I've talked to, like some of the Pakistani pastors that we've talked to, they basically spend the bulk of their money on um, on sending their kids to private school. So this is kind of what's going on. There's this big showdown going on in Texas right now between Greg Abbott and public schools. He's trying to defend public schools. This is just a, a tweet up from Raise Your Hand Texas about the importance of Uh, funding public schools, and that is very, very true because you compare Pakistan with India, who um, they had both started out as very poor countries. Pakistan has been focused more mainly on, um, you know, supporting terrorism and backing terrorists. Where India has been investing in their people. I don't have this article up right now, but um, there's I've read some articles that project India to be a major uh, world economic leader within the next decade because they've spent the last decade investing in their people and their education. So. Pakistan had the opportunity, but what you see in in Pakistan is what Greg Abbott wants to do in Texas to basically defund or have minimal funding for public education, and so that people have to go and rely on uh, private schools. So the the kids that um, had some tuition funded by friends of a friend, so they can go to a private school in in Pakistan. They've been out of school for four years, and so that was our big excitement for this week. Um, and I am excited about it. It's just there's so many other uh, there's so many other needs, and um, just I guess I remember to thank God for every blessing that comes in. But I was talking to the lady that that got the donors, and I said, "What does it feel like to change somebody's life?" because it re- she really is, it's a really, really big deal. And um, I'm really, really grateful to the people that uh, are willing to invest in kids halfway across the world. And so we just need to find some more, but um, I, what's really sad is to see how bad things are there and to see like here in Texas, they're basically wanting to recreate recreate Pakistan here in Texas. It's just, it's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, it, the, the thing about education is public education is really the thing that's made America great. It is the thing that's a great level, leveler. That was one of the things that, you know, if you go back and read about Victorian e- England, or you know, even earlier, it was only the wealthy that had really had an education, right? And education has been, the one thing that we can say is the children's inheritance here in the United States, that they do have a um, a right and have been giving that public education. But there are a lot of people that see education as nothing more than um, a money generator and uh, hedge funds like to invest in charter networks because they see them as great growth opportunities So if money is being it's also there's a whole lot of it. It's kind of a boondoggle. It's like they use it for Like uh, tax deductions and tax shelters They get all these credits for it they, they actually make money by donating to charter networks. It's this whole big racket but when money is being spent in that way, when it's going into the pockets of hedge fund managers for their like third, fourth or fifth home, it's, you know, kids aren't getting, um, it's not going to pay for teachers, it's not going to pay for, you know, school supplies or um, books. It's not going for for the education for the kids. They're just using kids to profit off of. And the people who are um, taken advantage of are the people that have that can we support it right so anyway um education is important and my, the afghans i work with it's like that that is one of the big things for them is education for their kids they value it and um i wish i wish we all valued its education as much as they do but anyway uh, i'm at an hour i think i'm going to wrap this up but uh hope you all have a good week and are able to do some good wherever you can find it. if you want to do some good for my people you can go to donshireministries.org select race to walk and uh, you can just donate there um like i said we have so many needs so many but uh we have we need to pay for english classes we need to um Get computers for people to do some of the, this, the studies and the works. We need to get someone back from Sweden, or not Sweden, get somebody back from Afghanistan to Pakistan so they can get asylum in Sweden. Uh, we need to get passports for kids and babies. A lot of needs. So if you'd like to help some of my people, you can go to Doncharministries.org and uh, select Race Walk. But anyway, I hope you guys have a great week coming up and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.